All right, it is Best Gift Sunday today. How are you doing, Community of Faith? You excited? Yeah? All right. Turn around and wave at somebody six feet away. There you go. Those of you at home, we're so glad that you're joining us. Uh, you know, it's been, a, it's, it's been kind of a, a strange year, but God has done so many miracles. This service, you're not gonna, you don't leave early, okay? If you're online, don't check out early because we're doing our tradition little drummer boy at the end. And we've got some friends that come from a long way off to be a part with us. So you're gonna wanna see that, experience that, okay? In this strange year though, God's done some miracles. I mean, it's not just been all negative stuff. God has done some amazing things. Let me just tell you what he's done through your giving. A 24-7 prayer hotline was launched here at Community of Faith. Our counseling team did an um, amazing job, 1,880 counseling appointments over the course of the year. Isn't that amazing? And uh, most of those were me, but some of them were you. Online programming developed for student kids and our special needs. Uh, Cancun campus provided basic food items and supplies to 750 families who would have gone hungry. There's no, uh, you know, government subsidy there in Mexico. 12 young men at Miracle Farm out here that uh, had been troubled and having a hard time made Jesus the boss of their life in 2020. I think that's pretty cool. Um, a new church was planted and local leadership trained in the village of Mukiki, Burundi with some more of the Batwa. They went and started another little community of faith. So that's exciting. 16 Batwa students who grew up in Matara, graduated from high school, applied for and were accepted to university. And that is a huge deal because this is the first uh, of our, our Batwa students that are making it on their own. The health clinic in Bubanza is now fully staffed. 12 babies a month have been delivered. Uh, it's just amazing. Quizera Academy, 630 students now through seventh grade. Um, and they're getting two meals a day. You're provided all of this, and it's just an amazing thing. Quisera Trade School has just graduated 60 more students. All of the young people in that Bubanza community of about 18,000 have gone to trade school now, and they're moving out throughout the country to, to start their trades, and it's been amazing. Burundi Fortified Foods <clears throat> increased production from 20 tons a month to 60 tons a month, and we're giving that out across all of Burundi and the Congo to uh, make sure that people don't starve to death. So it's a really cool thing. 300 children living at the landfill outside the Bouj, Bujumbura, are receiving daily fortified porridge, and they're now enrolled in school for the first time. And get this, we just started our 200,000th job in Burundi through your bank that you founded there. Isn't that amazing? Training and loans and all of that. In Northern India, 100 children in our residential school are there now, pulled out of sex trafficking, all safe, being fed and housed. I think that's awesome. 33,840 meals were provided in Northern India for COVID-19 relief. Uh, 400 students graduated from Zoom Bible School, which you can imagine where that's at online. And uh, it's in India too. And Community of Faith is working in Central Mexico, one of the most difficult places for the gospel in Mexico, and four new little community of faiths have sprung up there through Dennis Johnson and Mary as they're working there. So excited about that. 17 students graduated from our computer literacy program in San Carlos, 
Nicaragua. It's the only program of its kind anywhere around. And 65% of the students from the children's center who were feeding on a daily basis, they decided to go on from elementary school to secondary school. Usually it's only been historically 25%, but now we have 65%. Isn't that awesome? So that's cool. And then our sister church in Uganda, uh, Worship Harvest, uh, their weekly worship services jumped from 2,463 people in attendance to 4,586 in attendance during the pandemic. 2,648 people gave their lives to Christ there. And so that's just an amazing, amazing thing. And here at at home, even in the last couple of months of this pandemic, 230 first-time guests have signed up online just in the last couple of months at Community of Faith. So I think that's awesome what God's doing in the midst of pandemic. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because this is Best Gift Day, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about reward, how God rewards us. You know, some of us, we like to act really pious and and spiritual, you know, and and say, well, I don't give for any reward. But God says, you should. Did you know that? You should. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 11, 6. It says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The Bible says, hey, if you want to know God, then you got to understand that he's good, that he he lives, he's real, he's there, and that he actually, he rewards those who seek him. And then Jesus, in the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, says this, look, I'm coming soon. I will bring my reward with me and I will pay everyone back according to what they've done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know, it's interesting to me because the Bible talks a lot about reward. The Bible says, I want you to understand, believer, what's going on here, how this life works and what it's all about. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter six, let me just read this, this little bit to you. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Basically, Jesus is saying, you decide the extent of your blessing, of your reward, of your breakthrough, if you will. Now, to really understand that verse, you have to understand the marketplace back in Jesus' day. It's still the same in so many places in the world. In Burundi, in Africa, that poorest country in the world where you and I have are doing business and we're walking on a level playing field with with those men and women that make $100, before we met them, $100 a year uh, per capita. But now we're seeing them thrive. If you go to their markets, it was so interesting because like I saw last time I was there, a rice seller. And what they did, they just had a blanket out and there was a mound of rice. Like it was, it was a giant mound of rice, like a big old sand pile, right? And people would come with their different containers. And what you would notice is they had their favorite, they, all the rice sellers were right together, but they had their favorite ones, the ones that gave them the most. And so Jesus is talking about that. It was the same back in, 
his day. You would come with your container. And so what they would do first is they would scoop up the rice and they would pour it in or the beans or whatever it was you were trying to get. <clears throat> they would pour it into your container until it came all the way to the top. That's a good measure. And then what they would do is they would, you know, shake it. It's called shaking. Jesus said shaking together. They would shake it and it would kind of settle and there'd be more room. So they'd pour more on. And then they would press it down and push it as much as they could to compact it. And there's a little room, they pour more on. But the one that you really loved, they would press it down and they would shake it and they would do all of that stuff. And they would then just keep on pouring. And in Jesus' day, you had those robes and they would catch the extra rice or whatever in their robe. It's kind of like a little pocket, you know? And so this was like, okay, this is my favorite guy. Look at how much extra they gave me. Jesus is saying, that's what God wants to do. When you open up all of the channels, then what he wants to do is he wants to bless you like that. You decide the extent of your blessing. You get to decide it based on the measure that you use. And it, it, it's interesting because we're so easily distracted in this life, aren't we? And we can forget even the point of things and why things matter. So I have some little tests and some little reminders that I, I just did the who, where, what, why. There's, there's four W's, and I want us to, to look at these real quickly this morning before we give our best gift, okay? The first little W is who. Who will be my God? Me or him? And you say, well, of course him. I'm not going to be my God. But there's a little test that you can do. You know what the test is? It's the forgiveness test. Let me just read you again these verses that Jesus was saying about this pouring into your lap. It says this. Let me go back a little bit. In verse 36, be merciful as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Isn't this interesting? Because preachers down through the years have used this verse for money. You know, give and it'll be given to you. But it's not about money. It's about forgiveness. It's about mercy. Jesus says, if you give out mercy, if you give out forgiveness, it will come back to you. In fact, it'll come back to you and you will have a harvest of it. It'll be this amazing forgiveness and mercy that comes back. Jesus also said there's a connection between what God does for you, with you, and what you do. Let me just read you that in Matthew 6. It's in the Sermon on the Mount as he's preaching that famous sermon. He says this, in prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without forgiving others. Did you hear that? You can't get forgiveness from God without forgiving others. If you refuse to do you, your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. I was talking to a man not long ago, and 
I'm telling you, what had been done to him was horrendously wrong. And I I just had to commiserate with him and said, that's just, I, I agree with you. That's terrible. And he said, Mark, I will never, never, never forgive them. And I just had to say, well, brother, I hope you never sin again. Because if you don't forgive them, God won't forgive you. Did you know that? You see, some of us, we've stopped up that whole channel of mercy that God wants to pour out on us. And you're going, well, Mark, you don't know what they did to me. I've heard a lot of the stories. And I, I know I can't fathom what was done to many of you. I know that there were some horrific things done, and I, I validate that. I tell you that this, that's horrific. But I am also telling you that if you want to be full out for God and step into this thing with God, then what you have to do is you must forgive. You have the spirit of Jesus, the one who hung on the cross that lives inside of you. If you've said, I want to be yours, God, I give you, make you the boss of my life. Come in, live with me, live in me. The Holy Spirit of Jesus comes and lives in you. And Jesus is the one on the cross, remember, as they spit on him and cursed him. The ones who had already driven the nails in his hand, he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. Over and over it indicates he was saying, Father, forgive them. Every time they spit on him again, Father, forgive them. And his spirit lives in you. But you see, I think a lot of us have a misunderstanding of what it even means to forgive. Here's what Paul says. Never take your own revenge, beloved. He's talking to believers again. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So what he's saying is, hey, don't get in. You know, you got to figure out who's God here. You're standing in God's place. You're saying, I will be God and I will get my vengeance. You know, what was done to me was horrendous and you're gonna pay. And I'm gonna make sure you pay. I'm gonna be God in this instance. I'm gonna stand in his place and I'm gonna make sure you get your due. And I would make sure that it's, but I need to be sneaky or I'm gonna end up on Dateline, you know, with that guy going, was it murder? You know? No, here's the deal. God's going, what was done to you, little child? Little girl, little boy, man, woman. What was done to you? It was so wrong. It was so horrendous. Move out of my way. Let me be God. Move out of my way. You're standing in my way. Let me be God. And some of you are going like, no, nah, I'm not moving out of his way because I know how merciful he is. He's just going to forgive them. They're going to be up in heaven. I'm going to have to look at them for a billion years. That's none of your business. You don't know what God's going to do, but I've seen some severe judgment come upon people when people finally got out of the way. So you don't know, but the whole thing is you're not God. So get out of the way. Let God be God. You have to make a decision. Who's going to be God? Who? Who? will be my God. You see, standing in the place of God stops blessing in its tracks. You just have to say, I'm gonna lay this down at your feet. I'm moving out of the way. 
this that was done to me, it was wrong, it was horrific. God's not invalidating it. People aren't saying, oh, just let them go scot-free. God's saying, get out of my way, I'll take care of it. Do you trust him to be God or not? You trust him to do the right thing? See, some of you have stopped blessing in your life for literally decades. And God's going, it's time, little one, lay that down. Move out of my way. Let me be God. Who's going to be God? It's a good reminder. The second W is where. Where? And, and I think it's what I would say, it's confusing here for there. You, once you've figured out, okay, who's my God, then where am I going to make impact? Where am I going to seek reward? Because it's really important. Jesus tells an interesting story. It's a parable. It, I think it probably was a true story, but it, it, it's just something that gives us a glimpse into heaven. He said, there was a rich man and he did really well. He worked really hard. He was amazing. He was so, uh, you know, I mean, he just had, was a, he had a great work ethic. He worked so hard and he did really, really, really well. In fact, he did so well that he said, this year I've done so well, I can't even fit all that God has done in my life. I can't even fit it into my barn. So what am I gonna do? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns and I'll put it all in there. And then I'm gonna just kind of kick back and go, whew, man, good job. Eat, drink, be merry, done good, good job. Things are going well. Now, at first glance, you look at that, you say, I don't really see what the, the guy did wrong. But Jesus goes on to say this, God said to him, what a fool you are. Did you get that? What a fool. God doesn't pull any punches. What a fool you are to trust in your riches and not in me. This very night, the messengers of death are demanding to take your life. Then who will get all the wealth you've stored up for yourself? Jesus says, this is what will happen to all those who fill up their lives with everything but God. So Jesus is not condemning this man for working hard and being successful. That's something that's a gift from God. He's the one that enables you. He gave you the ability to do it. This isn't a parable about the dangers of being rich and successful. This is a parable about the dangers of confusing here and there. See, Jesus condemned the man and called him a fool because he forgot one fact. He forgot it was all temporary. And what then? What happens then? Someone asked me at a very wealthy man's funeral, how much did he leave? Do you know how much he left? And I looked at him and I said, he left all of it. He left all of it because that's the truth. In 1715, King Louis XIV of France died. Now, King Louis had been king of France for 72 years. That's a long reign. And he called himself, because he'd been king for so long, 
he got kind of caught up in himself a little bit. He called himself Louis the Great. That's always good when you call yourself that, right? Everybody else called him that too because they like to keep their heads, you know. So he was Louis the Great. And I mean, but he had, I mean, he was, he had made France, the, the, the whole leading country in all of Europe through his reign. His court was the most posh. Uh, it, was a, it was crazy, immaculate, amazing, just gold and silver. His funeral was, his coffin was pure gold. They laid him in a coffin of pure gold. They brought him to the big cathedral. And what he had requested, he wanted one giant candle to symbolize his greatness there and put beside the coffin. And so the, the whole of, the, of this, this whole cathedral was lit by one candle. Everything else kind of went back into darkness a little bit. And there's his golden coffin. They crowded in by the thousands. Bishop Massillon was to speak and he was supposed to be a golden tongued orator. So they were so excited about him. They would probably tell all the accolades of Louis the Great. Bishop Massillon stood up to speak. Hush came over the crowd, dead silence. And all he did, he reached out with his hand and he snuffed out the candle. And it was pitch black. And in the darkness, the pitch black darkness, you could hear his voice. Bishop Massillon said, only God is great. And that was the end of the service. It was over. That was Louis XIV's service. But it's true, isn't it? We can call ourselves the great all we want to, but only God is great. And sometimes I've noticed in America, we don't talk about heaven that much in church. But when I'm in Burundi, where they are living on that $100 a year per capita and life is brutish and short or in the Congo next to them where it can, women are raped just going out to find firewood to cook. It's a brutish and short. If you're lucky if you live into your 40s in both of those places, they talk about heaven a lot. We don't talk about heaven that much. Why? I think we start to confuse here and there. There's a danger for us. When it gets too good, we can start to forget. Watchman Nee, the great Chinese Christian and author, he said this in one of his books. He said, we approach God like little children with open hands begging for gifts because he's a good God. He fills our hands with good things, life, health, friends, money, success, recognition, challenge, marriage, children, a nice home, a good job. And so like children, we rejoice in what we receive. And like children, we run around and compare what we have with the other kids. When our hands are so full, God says, my child, I long to have fellowship with you. Reach out and take my hand. But we can't do it because our, our hands are full. God, we can't, we cry. We can't put those things aside and he says, put them aside and take my hand. Well, we can. It's too hard to put them down. But I'm the one who gave them to you in the first place. Oh, God, what you have asked is just too hard. Please don't ask us to put these things aside. And Watchman Nee says, God answers quietly, my child, you must. 
I think God orchestrates the affairs of life, the, the, the consequences of life, both the good and the bad, to bring us as believers to a place where our faith will be in him alone. Why did God make it, for example? I, I'm one of those guys that sits around, I think, way too much, you know, and I, I like to philosophize and think. And if you're one of those people, you would enjoy just we sit at Starbucks and think, you know? Why do we age? Why did God make it so we age, you know? I mean, why couldn't he just let us all just stop at 22? I mean, we can still die at 80, but we look like we're 22. And if you're here and you're 22, you're as good looking as you're ever gonna be. So you better enjoy the moment, right? I, I, I mean, you know, at 22, I always say I was like a bronzed God. I'd been, you know, put Crisco on and done the stuff, you know, and, and, and now I'm like the king of sun damage. I don't know what happened. But that's what my brother, the dermatologist, he looks me over every time and he goes, you're like poster boy for stun damage, you know? I said, yeah, but when I was 22, whew, I look good, you know? You age. Why, do we, why did God make it that way? I think the very process of growing old is, it's nothing more than this. God is teaching us how to hold lightly to the things God has given us. You know, and, and as we grow older, we start to realize you can't keep this forever. At any moment, they're gone one by one or two at a time or all of them together. Or he could take back the very life he gave me. 59 years ago, 59 years ago. I'm like, I think I'm still 22. It's going fast. But see, here's the thing. We knew this as children. As little children, we understood this better. I, I can still, in my mind's eye, see my kids. We, you know, we were missionaries in Mexico. We were in Mexico City for about six or seven years, Costa Rica, for a time, and, and then God called us to go and suffer for him in Cancun. So we did it. Somebody had to do it. The shook said, we will suffer for God in Cancun, right? I can still see my kids on the beach there in Cancun building sandcastles. And they're little, and, you know, they, when they get real intent, they stick their tongue, like, you know, kind of a Michael Jordan thing or something, you know? They're putting those little turrets. I mean, the, the time and the amount of, I mean, they just they had little like Coke bottle tops, you know, they're putting on the top. I mean, they're really doing this big, but then all of a sudden I see a big wave coming in. I go, oh no, they're gonna be so freaked out. You know what my kids did? They just jumped up and they started dying laughing, watching the wave come in and sweep out the sandcastle because kids know that's what happens to our sandcastles, Right? But as we grow older, living on the shores of this old world of ours, and we're building up our sandcastles, we forget some things sometimes. In fact, when the waves of time begin to come in and we see the erosion of that and it begins to move out and wash away, we start to get desperate. We start to get angry. I don't see the joy that my kids had when the waves would come in. And then that final big wave of our mortality comes in. And that's it. It's washed away. But 
like the man in, in, in Jesus' parable, we forget. And, and we build our sandcastles and we think that they're permanent, but they're not permanent. God didn't create you for this world. Your destiny is not bound up in this physical stuff. Everything about this life is so transient. And so what God will do sometimes because he's really good, you know what he does? He shakes things sometimes. He allows something to come along that shakes us down to our foundations. And that's because he's good. So let me ask you, have you thanked God yet for this pandemic? Because that's what he's doing. You know, at a funeral, I always look out and I can see everybody going like, oh, one day. I mean, people listen to me better than they listen any other time at funerals. Because we all sense our own mortality and this pandemic has done the same thing. And he shakes us and he says, only a few things matter. Hardly anything lasts. Then number three, another W, what? Not only where, but what? It goes right along with what I was talking about because confusing what is mine and what is his. The Bible talks about this, calls it stewardship. In fact, Jesus talks, he said, there's a, a steward, a manager, and he's trusted with everything and he does really good with it. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then there's another manager that just, he just squanders and he gets drunk and he beats the other slaves and not good for him. And then Jesus says this in Luke 16, 10 through 12. What I'm saying to you is that whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. And whoever is dishonest with a little will be dishonest with a lot. If you cannot be trusted with worldly riches, then who will trust you with true riches? What? If you cannot be trusted with these things that belong to someone else, who will give you things that are your own? What's he saying? It goes down a little further, and there's a verse I didn't put there, but it said the Pharisees, the religious leaders who loved money, they were listening to all these things, and ha, they started making fun of Jesus for saying these things. John Ortberg, when he was a boy, he would play Monopoly with his old, old grandmother. But that lady, I mean, she was old and she was his sweet grandmother till they got to Monopoly and then she was cutthroat, man. And she would always win. And she would get, you know, park place and boardwalk and she just oh, put hotels on it. And man, when he landed on there, ha ha, till he was done. He could never win. But he remembered her say long after she died. He said, I didn't, I didn't get it, really. We always played Monopoly at her house. And I thought, well, we're just playing Monopoly. But I don't think she was teaching me about Monopoly. She was teaching me about life because she would always say to me at the end. And he said, I remember the, finally the time that I beat her, not long before she died, I beat her. I was so excited. And she looked right at me and she said, John, don't forget, it all goes back in the box. And then it's somebody else's turn to play. I think that money is the mirror of 
our relationship with God. If you want to know your relationship with God on the clearest level, don't look at how many hours you pray, how many times in a year you go to church, or how long you read your Bible. Look and see where your money goes. Because Jesus said, that's the most accurate mirror where your treasure is. Your heart always follows. And so as believers, what we're to do, we take all these temporal things and gear them in a way to maximize value. Not because we ought to or because we should or not because we're noble or oh, so spiritual, you know, but because God has let us in on a little secret that the world doesn't know. And so we arrange our lives in a way to develop a heart of generosity, to bring about eternal impact, to generate eternal reward. Jesus said to Peter, Peter said, we've left everything and followed you. What does that mean? And Jesus said, look, don't you worry about that. It's gonna cost you everything here. You know that, right? Peter kind of already got that. He said, but there's nobody who's left family or houses or lands for the kingdom of God that won't receive back when I come and I set things right, that won't receive back a hundred times as much. That's 10,000% interest. A hundred times as much and with it, eternal life. I think Jesus is saying a thousand percent interest compounded daily forever. Now, he said, you can either do that or you can have it down here where the moth and rust destroy and where the thieves come in and tax it away. I just made up that tax part, but that's the thing, right? And this is what happens. The last thing, why? Why? So why? Uh, Jesus told another parable. I want you to picture with me. Uh, it's Jesus' first century, okay? And we're outside of Jerusalem, and it's arid and dry, and there's a, a traveler. He's got his walking stick, because they always had those, you know, to keep wild animals away or even beat off robbers if they had to, and also to help them walk, like I have, you know? And he's walking toward Jerusalem. He's got business to do. He's in a hurry, and so he decides to take a shortcut through a field, and as he goes through the field, it's uneven, and he trips a little bit, and he sticks his stick down hard in the ground, and thunk, thunk. There's something there, and it's not a rock. He's in a hurry, but he says, what is that? I, I got to stop for a minute, and he starts to uncover it, and he sees like the, the top of a chest, and it's like ornate. It's got like gold embossed on it, and he gets it where he can open it. He opens it up, and inside there are like gold coins from the Roman emperor who, who lived 150 years before. I mean, Rome's been around a while. I mean, just tons of gold coins and, and, and diamonds and rubies and emeralds, and it, it's a treasure. Jesus gave that parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid Again, now what's happening? In Jesus' day, here was the law. If you own the field, you own everything in the field, above the field, over the field, 
It's all yours. All of it. And so this man, being an honest man, put the treasure back in the field because it wasn't his. But then it says, he hid it again. And from joy over knowing it was there, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Jesus says that life in his kingdom will be characterized by extravagant, radical generosity and great joy. Don't miss, he said, for joy over it. He didn't go, oh, I gotta sell everything I have. Here, Jesus. He saw it. He got it. Do we get that? Do we understand that our father is a rewarder? He's a rewarder. So so the point here is that people who receive the kingdom, they treasure it more than anything else. Everything else pales in comparison. Now, you don't buy the kingdom. It's a free gift, remember? That's what Jesus did on the cross. You don't say, I'm going to try to work really hard and buy the kingdom, and God says it's not going to work, but I give it to you. Receive it. But it's such a treasure that you realize it's worth so much more than anything else. It's as if a poor child is invited into, you know, as they've opened up Toys R Us again. You see that? And just imagine, it's the biggest Toys R Us in the world, and you're invited in as a small child, and the owner of it says, you can have anything in here that you desire as long as you want it really badly. Pick one. I could do that. It's still a gift but I really want it. Oh, do I want it? Yeah, that's the thing I want. There it is. The condition is that you prize the kingdom more than you prize anything else. The point of selling everything in this parable is simply to show where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart is also, Jesus said. But I want you to take heart because listen to Luke 12, 32. It comes true for you. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you're faithful with what is not yours, so I think it's, it's mine. Oh yeah, you're gonna keep it? Oh, you're gonna keep it. 100 years from now, is it yours? No, somebody else is gonna play with it. All of your kids wasting it. It's gonna go back in the box but he has a little test, money test. You get it? Do you understand what I'm doing? Are you playing to win for eternity? I'm the father who rewards you. I'm coming back and my reward is with me. There were a a couple of people that came to our staff last week and they said, are you gonna keep, the, the open, the giving for best gift. And our, so my staff guys go, well, why would we keep it open for a long period of time? He said, because we both lost our jobs during this pandemic and we want to give, but we're gonna have to go sell some stuff. A lady this morning about made me cry. She gave her wedding ring. And used to, I would say, oh, no, don't do that. 
you know, look, you're without a job right now. Let those who have a job, let us shoulder the burden and let's do that. And when I was younger in ministry, I was a big, I was like, don't do that, you know? I don't do that anymore. Because why should I take the joy away from them? Laura and I gave our best gift this morning. It didn't cost so much in our hearts as a wedding ring. It was a lot more than I thought God was gonna ask us to give. But what was so weird about it? We felt such joy as we turned it in online before we came. And I thought, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I want you to look again at the ways to give, okay? Up there on the screen. We'll leave them up there for just a little bit. If you're at home, you can give. You give by texting. You can give by going to the website or the app. You can send in a check in the mail. If you're here, we've got, you want to do a check, you can put it in those little boxes. Not a penny stays here. I don't have any problem asking for that. It's not for me. It's not for here. It goes out to stop sex trafficking in Houston and all of the other things we're doing around our city and all the way across the globe. Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Burundi, Uganda. Close your eyes with me for just a minute. Maybe you're here and you say, "Uh, you got me today. Not about the money, it's about the grudge. Wondered why you hadn't been blessed. You wonder why life's been such a struggle. You wonder why things are so hard. Well, sometimes it's just God helping you loosen your grip a little bit, but sometimes you've stopped it up, you know, and you got to be able to discern which one it is. Sometimes God's going, I've been wanting to do some really cool things in your life, but you got to let go the grudge. Don't hold that anymore. Let me be God. I will repay. You believe that? Or are you going to keep being God? What about with your finances? Building a big sandcastle? It's not going to last. Only a few things last. God is looking for some people that can just be a channel. You don't even know what he might do. I'm not one of those guys that says, give $100 and God will give you $1,000. That's not what he says. But he says, let me bless you. Let me bless you. Open up the channels. And I want you to give it with joy. Don't give it if it's making you mad or sad. Or you got to find the joy in it. And some of you, God's going to tell you to give something that you're going, gulp. Okay. That's good. Let him do it. I'm not going to. Try to talk you out of it. I don't want you to cuss me for a billion years in heaven because I talked you out of it, all right? But I love you, community of faith. Let me pray for you. God, give us hearts like your heart. Let us see you as giver and let us be your little children and want to be givers too. In Jesus' name, amen.